You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. During the Advent season, we celebrate the first coming of Christ while we also wait expectantly for his return. Two weeks ago, we lit the longing candle, and last week we lit the hope candle. Both of them lantern lights, dim yet precious, for those who wait outside the gates of Eden. Today, we light the lament candle. We are often eager to look for the light before we have named and announced the dark. So we pause in the midst of Advent to recognize our desperate need for dawn. As we hear the story of Hannah and her distress, weeping bitterly before her God, We also lament as people unapologetically desperate for a child of sacrifice to come. In this season, we are reminded that we grieve with anticipation of relief, knowing God will do more than look on our affiliations. He will be born into them, and we can rejoice as Hannah did. Celebrating light in the dark, the lowly lifted high, we celebrate a promise kept. For you we wait, O Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance Come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full of love hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and rises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the Lord of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones. But the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home from Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, thank you for the gift of your son who died on the cross to give us access to you. Thank you for being a God of mercy and justice. Thank you for caring for the meek, for those of us who were your enemies. Thank you for providing us a way to have access to you and peace forever. Um, Thank you for hearing the voices of the, the lowly, thank you for providing the way of escape.
thank you for your promises that no matter what happens here, that you're working all of those things together for your good. And thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus that whether in this life or the next, all things will be made right, all wrongs will be righted, and every tear will be dried. We thank you and look forward to what you have for us for this day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Morning. Man, those lights do seem brighter. What is that about? Uh, my name's Scott. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here of the village. Uh, yeah, I was supposed to be done talking to you for the year, uh, but we had a kind of midweek schedule change, and so you get me one more time in 2022. Merry Christmas. Uh, so... Uh, Real quick, would you just uh, pray with me, for me, uh, as I pray out loud for us this morning. God, thank you for, uh, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this gathering. Thanks for these people. Um, And we sang, what a happy morning it was when you were born uh, in Bethlehem. And this morning, some of us are happy and some of us are sad. Some of us are frustrated, confused. uh, And and yet you were born uh, into a happy morning and also into our afflictions. And so, This morning, uh, as we look at lament and joy and the possibility of joy and the reality still of sin and suffering and evil in this world, even though you've declared salvation already and we sit and wait for you to come again to make it all right, it's messy and it's confusing, and yet uh, this this is where you came. This is what you broke into, and this is what you broke in to bring good news to and to us as well. So would you allow us to hear some good news this morning? And allow us to be who we are with you and with one another. Lament if that's what we need to do. Rejoice if that's what we need to do. Uh, And Father, we just ask that you would show us yourself, uh, maybe in a fresh way, maybe in a way that we've seen a million times before, but we just need to see it one more time, that we might walk out of here exulting uh, and exalting you. Uh, Thanks so much for Jesus. Uh, Do what you will with us today. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Uh, so we're just going to hop right in uh, this morning. Our big idea for this text today is that God makes joy a possibility for today and a promise for the future. And our first point this morning is that joy is possible. Uh, and we'll look at just the first verse of our focal passage this morning uh, in First Samuel 2. It says this, uh, And Hannah prayed and said, my heart exults in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. All right, so we'll look at that for a few minutes. Uh, First, one just quick kind of word thing, uh, exult and exalt. All right, both words are good things. They're about good things, uh, but they're actually different things, even though they sound basically exactly the same. Uh, Exult, the one with a, a U, that's about rejoicing. Uh, We just sang, um, O come all ye faithful. Uh, We sang earlier, and part of that song is sing choirs of angels, sing in exaltation. All right, so the the U is the rejoicing. Uh, Exalting with an A, uh, that's lifting something up. It's it's adoring it or esteeming it in some way. And so you might exalt something that you exalt, uh, but they're two different things, and English is just weird. Uh, And so I just wanted you to know, as you're looking at this, it's not some typo or whatever. Hey, they mean different things, Uh, and we'll come back to that later. More importantly, uh, who is Hannah, right? Who is Hannah, and and why is she so happy uh, all of a sudden? Who were her enemies? Um, What was she she saved from? Uh, Long story short, Hannah was a woman during the time of the judges, uh, before God's people had a king, they had rulers called judges who, who by and large, were pretty awful, uh, and they highlighted a, pr- a pretty dark time in Israel's 
history. And so for those of you who were around for the series in Hosea that we did, uh, all that happened uh, before Hosea. And so uh, Hannah's joyful, and she's emboldened in this prayer because God had spoken into just years and years and years of, of family drama, freed her from shame, like just deep shame that she carried in her community. Uh, and he delivered her from bitterness and distress caused by just years and years and years, the words of a woman that she shared a husband with. All right, so I, I know for a fact that some of you watch Sister Wives. You have confessed such to me. Uh, 17 seasons worth, you have reasons to know how one guy having more than one wife might actually lead someone to distress, all right? So that's why you tune in each week, right? Because probably you don't have more than one spouse or your spouse doesn't have more than one spouse, and so you feel pretty good about your life when you turn into that show. Uh, so, like, hey, that's fine. Uh, but, but look, multiple spouses or not, like, could we just do one at a time? Here, that would be great. Uh, instead of... Instead of Cody, instead of Cody being married to Mary and Janelle and Christine and then later Robin, I don't know these people. I had to Google all this, all right? Um, we have Elkanah, all right? He's the guy, and he's married to, to Hannah and to a woman named Peninnah. And, and just so you know, just because it's described uh, in the Bible doesn't mean it's prescribed by the Bible, all right? So, so just because you see it on TV, you don't do everything that you see on TV. You see stuff in the Bible, you don't do everything that you see in the Bible, all right? That's just a rule of thumb. Again, one spouse at a time. Uh, besides the obvious friction that might happen there with like playing favorites, which Hannah actually seemed to be the favorite of Elkanah, uh, there was friction when it came to kids. Um, Hannah couldn't have any kids, but Peninnah had several. We don't know how many, but just mentioned that she had sons and daughters, plural, so she had at least four. Um, and, and while fertility and having kids and all that stuff is a much more difficult and painful process than, than some of us have ever imagined, having kids in Hannah's day uh, was also tied to, to the family being able to provide for itself in the future. Kids were a retirement plan of sorts, uh, and, and it was a way to enmesh your family into other families in the community, be part of the community. And, and before modern medicine, fertility was just seen as God opening and closing wombs. So if you've ever kind of wondered why so many other gods from so many other religions seem to be dealing with fertility, that, that's kind of why. And so there are physical social, spiritual, internal stuff at play with fertility today, just as there was for Hannah back then. But on top of all that, Peninnah, um, Hannah's rival as, as the other wife, she used her infertility against her. Back in uh, chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, uh, it says that she used to provoke her grievously, to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Elkanah loved Hannah more. He gave her twice as much food as Peninnah. As well as, as well as anyone with two lives could love one of them, he loved her best. And it showed up in the way that he felt. It showed up in the words that he said. It showed up in what he gave her. But no matter what he offered, like she was just too filled with grief to receive it. Shame and bitterness just kept her from enjoying the love of someone who saw her in her distress and drew near. And that's something that some of us can relate to today. In our Advent reading this morning, we heard this that we are often eager to look for the light, 
before we have named and denounced the dark. And so we pause in the midst of Advent to recognize our desperate need for dawn. Some of us are full, like Hannah, this morning. Our appetite for love and our ability to receive some of the good that God might have for us. It's been dulled and quenched by grief and by pain. Some of us can't fathom tasting the love of the Lord that we know he's set before us because everything tastes bitter right now. And the way to deal with that, even at Christmas time, isn't to pretend that we're better than we really are. Um, our, our family uh, is going through an Advent devotional this year, and whatever you think that looks like at the Odano household, just ratchet it down several notches of polish. Um, one night this week, we sat down at the dinner table, and I, I snagged the book, and I, I brought it to the table, opened it up, and Kelly's like, are we doing this now? Because, like, kids were sick, I had a headache, everyone was grumpy, absolutely no one was happy, kids were up and down, like, no one was paying attention, and you would think I'd be like, give a spiritual answer, hey, you know what, when things are crazy or down, like, there's just, there's no better time than to talk about Jesus. That's not what I said. I was just like, it is now or never. That was literally my response. And so we plowed through, and we did it. Uh, we, we, we talked about the nature of truth, and we talked about some of the crummy lies that we believe about ourselves as adults or as, as kindergartners. We read a, a prayer, and then that was it. That was it. Like, lots of things shared, no quick fixes, our little Advent devotional, like our conversations didn't end in a, in a tiny bow, there was no fake Christmas cheer, just headaches and grumpiness and bearing a bit of our souls, reading some true stuff, Right? And that was, that was our advent for the day. And I know that little story pales in comparison to like what's keeping some of us from maybe experiencing the joy of the season. But this time leading up to Christmas that we call Advent, it isn't meant only for the happy and the cheery among us. It's meant for those who are longing for something more, who are waiting for something better to come along because things aren't Maybe always great right now. In fact, things could be better. Maybe things couldn't be worse. And if that's what you would say, then, then this season is your season. And this Hannah is, is your girl. She's not a, she's not a happy-go-lucky, blind faith, like what does she know about suffering kind of woman. She's weathered years of taunting and grief and shame that, that can't not lead someone to have some bitterness in their heart. But she didn't wait until things were better before going to the Lord. She went to him with all of it. She named and denounced the darkness, and she let herself feel her own desperation for the dawn. Before this prayer today, that's our focal passage, she prayed other prayers, despairing and weeping prayers that she didn't even dare to say out loud, and maybe it was because her, her spirit just simply couldn't muster it, right? Or maybe it was because like, she was just sobbing too hard and the words couldn't get out, or maybe she was just afraid of what others might think if they heard her pleas to God. Hannah's prayer today isn't the prayer of a person who had a pretty cushy life and was set up either by the Lord or by chance to have a, a carefree, hallmark, Christmas movie, easy to worship Jesus kind of life. This is the prayer of a woman who's been through some stuff, but who has finally tasted grace and been delivered from a little bit of the bitterness that, that honestly she never thought she'd get over. And that was until the Lord heard her prayer and saw her bitterness and gave her a son. And the social stigma was gone. The, the, the taunts and the jabs from Penina and, and all those ladies like that stopped. God laid an axe at her shame 
and her distress and replaced it with exaltation, rejoicing in the Lord and exaltation. Her, her horn, like the antlers of a, of a buck or the horns of a ram that are a signal of pride and strength and, and security, her metaphorical horns were lifted up in the Lord, proudly displayed, not because of her, but because of him. The Lord lifted up her eyes and her voice, the voice that once could barely whisper prayers of lament in the temple, was now mocking her rivals. Not by putting them down, but by lifting God up. The voice of Peninnah and any other mean girls were silenced because of her joy in God's salvation. Christians, we don't mock enemies by being jerks. Okay, that's not what this is calling us to. We mock whatever and whoever comes against us by delighting in the grace of God who is not put off by our despair or how lowly or sinful we are, but who draws near to us, like Elkanah drew near to Hannah, but not just with statements of love and some extra food, right, so we would feel better, but he, he draws near with the remedy to the root of our shame and distress and all the reasons for our bitterness. When we rejoice in God's salvation by grace alone, we are ridiculing anything that condemns us on the basis of anything else, and all that glory gets to go to God. This prayer of, of Hannah is proof that joy is possible for us. If it is possible for Hannah, then joy might be possible for us. And for some of us, that's, that's a big ask, right? I, and it might seem like a silly thing to even say out loud, right? Some of you are like, well, of course joy is possible. But for some of us, that is a big ask. It's hard to believe that joy could be ours, that we could have a reason to be joyful, that we could let ourselves experience it and express it in worship and song and prayer over a cup of coffee with a friend, that anything good could possibly overtake the bad and bitter stuff that seems immovable and inevitable in our life. Man, but joy is possible. And possible means we might not taste it right now or tomorrow. It might not seem real to us now, but it's not out of the question. And again, for some of us, that is a big ask, to believe that joy is not out of the question. Especially at this time of year when we think everything's supposed to be like twinkly and tinsel and, and all the things, like it makes us feel even more in the dark. And, and the first act of, of discipleship for some of us this morning might actually uh, be to, to try not to fake it until you make it. Right? Maybe to stop doing that, to stop pretending like you should already be there, to be joyful. We get to knock off the fake enthusiasm, all right? as if we have the, the Christmas cheer or whatever. We're excited about the holidays. You, you don't have to add that extra exclamation park, uh, point at the end of your texts right? or your emails to make it seem like you're more bubbly than you really are. You don't have to do that. Right? You can just end it with a period if you want to or, or a, a dot, dot, dot. Now, you can do that too. You don't have to do those things. Grieve, grieve with us, be sad, lament, express the places in your life where you feel just defeated. This isn't a, a, a now or never moment, all right? That's not what this is. It, it's, it's never a never moment with Jesus, but it is a now moment for us. Joy is possible, which means it's possible for you to not be joyful now, right? And if that's you, then you are in good company with Hannah and with us and with Jesus, your church, like you are, you're here at the right time in this season of Advent where collectively, like sometimes we just get to be hopeful for each other, especially when we can't muster it up for ourselves. We get to hang on to hope for people who don't have it for themselves. And, and that's because 
Like we can do that, not naively, not hoping that things might get better in the future, but we get to hang on to that hope for other people because our hope ultimately rests in the Lord himself. And that's our second point today is that God is the one who makes joy possible. We'll read verses two through eight together. She says, there is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows, or sorry, the bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has borne many children is forlorn. Wonder who she's thinking about there. Uh, the Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. It's pretty good stuff. On uh, July 1st, 1998, uh, one of the greatest expeditions ever set out from, uh, from the Kennedy Space Center in Orlando. And the mission, it was the first of its kind. Uh, two space shuttles, Freedom and Independence, were manned by a team of oil riggers led by Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck. And they would land, I had you there for a minute. Uh, they would land on the surface of an asteroid headed for Earth, drill a, a hole down to the asteroid's core, and then they would detonate a bomb at the center to crack the asteroid in half and, and send the, the parts flying past Earth's orbit, sparing us from... Armageddon. There we go, Armageddon. Also Annihilation. Yes, I was waiting for it. Okay, some of you weren't born in 1998, which makes me feel old. That's a movie, in case you didn't know. Um, so look, uh, what wasn't a movie, though, was was NASA's uh, what they call double asteroid redirection test, DART for short, that just this year, like a few months ago, September 26, it crashed a spacecraft into a small moon orbiting a big asteroid, altering its orbit. All to prove that Billy Bob Thornton was onto something, right? <laughs> when he came up with that plan that you could throw something at a big rock and maybe save the planet, right? And so, look, even though Armageddon was the highest grossing movie of 1998, I heard barely a peep about any of this stuff. The fact that we did something similar in real life. That's kind of cool. Just a few months ago. Rocks, all right, rocks on Earth, in space. Maybe they aren't as imposing or as impressive as they were before, like Minecraft and, and TNT and all those things. Yet it's, it's one of the ways that Hannah describes the Lord in this long middle section of her prayer. A section that shifts away from her and where her heart is towards the Lord, describing him. Right, focuses on him and all that he does and all that he's like, holy, uh, he's unique, all-knowing, all-judging, and, and also, uh, as, as Bob Seger says, like a rock. He's like a rock. Bef before the days of cranes and explosives, a big rock wasn't going anywhere. All right, like you can push, you can pull, you can lift with your knees, whatever you want to do, but a big enough rock would simply be an immovable object, which, if God's a rock, puts him in stark contrast with everything else that we read in this part of her prayer and certainly everything else in creation, including our pride and our despair. A theme of Hannah's prayer here is reversal. Right? Warriors losing their weapons, weak made strong, people with full stomachs selling themselves just to get a bite to eat while those who are starving are no longer hungry. 
Those without kids will have a lot, and those with kids, they will still just wither away. Death, life, eternal judgment, resurrection, poverty, wealth, right? The needy and the poor lifted up from the dust and seated with nobles on a throne with their name on it. Everything is subject to change at the hand of the Lord, except the Lord himself. And for those of us who feel stuck, the fact that literally everything isn't stuck can be really good news. The way this world is, like the way that your life has been, the way that you are, the, the lament and the joylessness that might be part of your life or the life of the person sitting next to you, that's not set in stone. It can be changed. You can be changed. Even from one polar opposite thing to another because all of it, including whatever is swirling inside of you right now, is, is subject to the one thing that never changes. Now we can like take this stuff and we can run with it to some really weird uh, and, and wonky places. If you've ever heard uh, the, the line from Jesus that like, hey, the first will be last and the last will be first. And you thought, well, heck, I'll just stand at the back of the line. So I'll get called up to the front. That's the kind of wonkiness that I'm talking about. Like that's not what that is. All right, Hannah's not giving us a way to the front of the line. Health and wealth and comfort. She's not saying that in this life, we're gonna get all the things that we think that we're lacking right now. That God's gonna 180, right? Everything that we wish were different. That's, that's not what this is. So so what is this? Why say that God can do these things if he won't do these things? A theme of Hannah's prayer is reversal. Yeah. But the foundation of her prayer is the unchanging and movable nature and presence of the Lord in every circumstance. That's the foundation of this section. All those things that, that God's done, those aren't promises. They are possibilities. They are evidence of the limitless, unbound, unrestricted power of the Lord. Hannah's not telling us to find our hope in the fact that life will get easier. Right? She, she's trying to drive home the point that we get to anchor our hope in a God who can't be moved or pushed or pulled or evicted uh, out of any corner of the world. A world that he made that's resting on, on his foundations and that still is resting in his hands today. He's doing the pulling and the pushing and the moving. And so long as those things are in his hands, the foundation of anyone's hope for joy is sure. It'll always be a possibility so long as God reigns. It's okay to want things to be different. You know that? It's okay for you to want things to be different. It's okay to want things. You can want things. Honestly, the right, the right response to, to much of life sometimes is to look around and realize that things are not as they should be. Things aren't supposed to be this way and to long for them to be the way that they are supposed to be. Right? But wanting something is different than putting our hope in something. There's a difference here. As if, as if life or abundant life, our joy, whatever it is, is kept lock and key behind something that you don't have or something that could be better. When we, when we read this part of the passage this morning, we've heard it twice now, what was more encouraging to us? The fact that our situation could change or the fact that God never does? What was more encouraging to you when you heard that? Did, did Hannah want to have kids? Yeah. Did she want to be free from Peninnah's constant verbal abuse? Yeah. Did she ask the Lord for those things? Yes, she did. She asked those things from him through tears. Was her situation reversed? Absolutely, yes. But her hope to be free from bitterness, that never changed. She didn't give birth to her hope. Her hope was in the Lord who gave her the gift of a son. 
And we know her hope was in the Lord because she sought the Lord in her lament year after year after year when her situation was no different. And she sought the Lord again in her joy. She didn't forget about him when she got the thing that she wanted, right? She didn't merely seek the Lord for something. She sought the Lord in everything, in her affliction and in her exaltation because she knew that the Lord alone made joy a possibility for her life. And if you don't believe me, then get this, the child that she had, she didn't keep it. She offered her son Samuel to a life of service in the temple because she knew that when she did that, she wasn't giving her hope away. Do you know what words she said in the temple immediately before she started praying this prayer? She said, I prayed for this boy, and since the Lord gave me what I asked him for, I now give the boy to the Lord. For as long as he lives, he is given to the Lord. And I'm sure that she was sad. As any parent, any mom or dad would be to leave a child in the care of somebody else, I'm sure that she was heartbroken in some ways by that. But she wasn't sad because she was leaving her hope behind. In fact, she was entrusting Samuel into the very hands of the one that she put her hope in. That's how you know her hope is in the Lord because she's not keeping her son for herself. She's entrusting her son and her own joy again in this moment into the hands of the one in whom there is hope. And in her prayer, Hannah is entrusting us into that same care. And she's calling us to place our hope for joy in him too. We don't put our hope in the possibility that that our situation might change, but in the certainty that the God who is reigning in and over every single situation never will change. And that gets to tangibly shape our lives in, in, in three ways. The first is this that we get to seek the Lord over circumstances, all right? God, like, ask the Lord for things. Ask him for stuff. The, the one who is sovereign over all, ask him to do things in your life and in the world around you. You can come before him boldly and ask for help and mercy in times of need, and more than that, more boldly and loudly and desperately than asking him to change other people around you or other things. Ask him to help you see him more clearly. Love more purely. Repent more quickly, react less harshly, praise him more fully. Lord, I, I want these things and these people around me to, to better reflect your goodness and order and peace and joy, but God, I, I want to see you more fully so I can reflect those things, so I can look like you, so I can bear your image and let my tears fall like Jesus' tears did onto a ground that's been cursed and corrupted by sin and suffering, but ground that the Father is holding up. And the sun walked on, and the spirits hovering over, because all that is true. So we get to seek the Lord over circumstances. And, and that also, then, should curb our arrogance, which can show up when we assume that we know what God should do or what God's not going to do, right? And arrogance, look, arrogance can show up when we're too cynical to believe that he can or, he can or wants to do anything, Arrogance can show up in our cynicism. Both are arrogant. Both make assumptions. And both have, have built the possibility for joy on something other than the Lord himself. It might be because you think that you know best, right? You can see it, right? And anything less than, than whatever it is that you have, uh, that you have imagined God threading that needle, right? That you have painted a picture of in your brain. Anything less than that or different than that would simply be a, a disappointment. Like, like I mean, the, the Lord could have solved the solution, the problem with Peninnah, right? In, in a million other ways. 
chose to give her a baby, he could have like just opened up the earth and swallowed her into it and gotten rid of Penina right there. Right? For a God who is sovereign and all-powerful, the sustainer of everything, he's got more than one way to solve a problem, right? But, but maybe your possibility for joy is built upon a lifetime of, of disappointment, hurt, abuse. And so your life has taught you not to get your hopes up. Because when you do, your hopes get dashed. Surely when Hannah says, like, talk no more, so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. She's got to be thinking about Peninnah, just a, a little bit. Like, spoke too soon, huh? Uh, but but it's, it's easy to spot arrogance in irritating people. It's a lot harder to spot it in the assumptions that we make. But the new assumption that we get to make is that that we have assumptions baked into us, things that we've learned, things that we've picked up along the way. And once again, those things are all subject to change. The assumptions that sin and suffering would have us operate out of, like those things are not immovable or unchangeable. Part of our discipleship, part of our growing in the gospel is actually naming and denouncing those things that came from the darkness but have made their home in our heads and in our hearts and feel so familiar that it's hard to even recognize that they're not good or true. And while working on that might feel like setting yourself up for disappointment, right, on, on any end of the spectrum, pride or cynicism, there's freedom to be found by, by relocating your hope into the hands of God himself, just not what you think he can or can't do or should or shouldn't do with those hands. Which lastly leads us to this, that we get to, we get to entrust others to a humble hope. The fact that the Lord makes, him, makes joy possible, like, that's not only hope that we have for ourselves. It's the hope that we have for everyone and, and everything. It shows up not just in what we say is good and true for us, but what we say and tell others is good and true for them. And so, like Hannah, we not only go to the Lord as the one who makes joy possible, but we point others to him as well. And this is really hard because what we want to hear, like, and, and what's easier to say almost every time is that, hey, like, things will get better. I'll be praying for you that that goes away. Hope things get easier for you. That's sometimes what we want to hear, and that's a lot easier to tell someone else. Uh, Mabel, our oldest daughter, she's playing basketball this season, and her coach uh, sent a video to the whole team to watch, and it was this uh, motivational talk about how, how most people just kind of live their life looking forward to the day when things get easier, all right? And while, while some hardships, like, might be temporary, some aren't. And then new hard things show up and take their place that are different than the last things. And the point of this little motivational talk that he sent was, was to say, don't twiddle your thumbs and make excuses for the way that you are or what you can or can't do because you're waiting around for something to get easier or better. Right? Because chances are it's, it's not going to. Instead, learn to do hard things better. That was the idea. Not I'm not like a big motiva motivational speaker guy, like TED Talk guy. That's not me, but like there's some decent theology in that a little bit, all right? Like, like until Jesus returns, right, in this world, there's going to be sin and there's going to be suffering and there's an enemy and there's a curse that's prone to bring chaos and guilt and shame and pain into your life. In other words, like your life's going to be hard. So if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, like what do you have to offer the hurting people around you? The Lord, who despite the powers of darkness in us and around us in the world, he can't be evicted. 
from the world that he made. And he can't be stopped from exercising his power as he sees fit for our good and for our joy and for his glory. A God who said that sickness and death and the powers that be and laws and governments, taunts, accusations, all the things, the condemnation of the world itself cannot separate us from his love in this moment. Even while we were going about our own lives, just totally uh, not even thinking about the Lord. Like he sent Jesus to live and die for our sins that, that we were just happily committing. We get to tell people that, yeah, maybe things will get better. Maybe they will. But even if it doesn't, there is no doubt that God is with you and that he is for you and he sees your affliction. He sympathizes with you in your pain and he can be at work in you and through you even if things aren't painting out the way that you had hoped. That is a greater, better hope that we get to offer the people around us. And even more than that, more than what Elkanah was able to give to Hannah when, when she was hurting, which was just kind of a, a loving presence while she kept hurting. And more than just hoping for a joy that's, that's just possible in a world that is surely going to be hard, God gives his people a promise that one day every enemy and every root of bitterness will be named and will be denounced and will be banished, not by us, but by him. The one who knows and sees and judges all, just as this world will surely be hard, even though God is near the unstoppable, inevitable arrival of Jesus in all of his glory will one day in our future drive out every sliver of darkness and make all the room in the world for the full joy of his unfiltered presence to flood our lives in ways that we can't imagine. That's what Advent's all about, Charlie Brown. And this is our third point this morning. The gospel makes joy a promise. Look at verses 9 through 11. Hannah ends her prayer with this. She says, He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He'll give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of of Eli, the priest. Uh, so I know some of folks uh, celebrated college graduations this week. Is that you? Anybody? Anybody in there? No? Yes? I know some. No? No one here? I know a couple people did that should be here this morning. Whatever. Uh, or maybe you're just too timid to raise your hand and I'm blind because of these lights. I don't know. If that was you, congratulations, right? Uh, that's a huge accomplishment for real. And I know that like there's actually a, a surge of work, a ton of stuff that you're trying to wrap up in that last week and it feels crazy. Uh, but also, I know that there's like a bit of weight that can be lifted off when you know that, man, when you know that the end is near, right? At the end of that crazy, it's coming. Uh, like no matter what, Friday's getting here, my name's getting called, I'm getting that thing, and then I'll be done, at least with this chapter of, of my life. And, and that's true for high school seniors. They call it senioritis. Uh, that's true if, if you put in two weeks' notice at work, right, a, a job that maybe you hate, or if you know you've got some, some time off coming up and things have been crazy at work, like, man, you just know, like, your, your mind is free, there's a weight lifted off your shoulders because, man, you're about to be freed up from that thing that you hate about your job, right, for even a little bit. And so sometimes before tough conversations or heavy meetings, like for me, like I remind myself that that meeting's gonna come to an end. I'm gonna walk out of that meeting, right? And I'm still gonna be me and everything's still gonna be there and everything's gonna be all right. And so like those are all traceable patterns of behavior that when we know that hard stuff is coming to an end, like man, it, it, it feels more possible to let 
our hearts be light. If we know that our, our burden will soon be lighter. That's just a thing for us. And so if that's true for meetings, and if that's true for school or work, then how much more true should that be for bigger picture things? Like for things that are, are temporary versus things that are eternal. Hannah here at the end of her prayer, she shifts again, like away, away from not just like what the Lord was doing for her, away from what the Lord can, can do in the present. Now she's like looking at what the Lord actually will do. All right, it's moved not only from past to the present towards the future, but her prayer is also moved away from her to all the people of God. And that includes us this morning. And her future includes a little bit of our past, right? Stuff that has already happened for us that hadn't yet happened for her, right? But also it includes a lot of what lies ahead for you and for me as well. And maybe the most surprising, weird thing here is this thing about a king, right? There was no king here yet in Israel. There was no king. Remember, like, this was the time of the judges. There hadn't even been one king yet uh, before Israel had a monarchy. And so here's Hannah praying about a king, Something that hadn't yet existed, but that would exist. And somehow this unseen, not yet existing thing was the thing that God was going to give all of his strength to in order to accomplish all of his purposes. She, she just asked for a baby. You know, and, and now she's talking about a king that's not just going to shut Panina up and, and all the other ladies in town, but, but it's, it's a king that's going to break God's adversaries into pieces and leave the wicked in the dark. All right, that seems like a bit of an overkill for someone who just wanted a kid, right? But it's not. It's not if Hannah sees that what the Lord's doing, what he did for her and what he does in general in everything that he does, if it's about something bigger, something more than making just her dreams come true. Yeah, the Lord vindicated her. But he's at work vindicating all of his people vindicating himself. This isn't just about answering Hannah's prayer. This is about the bigger picture of cosmic universal redemption. And Hannah like sees the gift of her little Samuel as evidence of that story. And what she may not know is how important Samuel himself would be uh, in that story. See, Samuel would go on not only to be a prophet and a judge himself, a good one, but he would anoint the first kings of Israel, including King David, who would establish a throne that would be promised to a future king from his lineage whose reign would never end. Right? And, and that royal descendant of David was Jesus. Hannah doesn't know it, but, but this is a Christmas prayer that points to Jesus' first advent, his first coming, when he'd be born in the city of David, in the family of David, to take the throne of David. In fact, some say the song of Mary, uh, that, uh, the mother of Jesus that Michael preached through a couple weeks ago. Some say that that song of Mary was actually inspired from parts of Hannah's prayer right here. Go read Luke uh, 1, 46 through 58 sometime after today, and you'll see that. Hannah didn't give birth to her hope, but because God's faithful to and through Hannah, one day Mary, the mother of Jesus, would give birth to our hope. Hannah's heavenly God become human, that joy would take the shape of a baby who would as a child find himself drawn to the temple, like even without his parents, which was a bit of a home alone moment, right? When Mary and Joseph were traveling and they're like, where is he, Kevin? You know, whatever, like that was kind of freaking out. But, but that child would then grow up and live faithfully under scrutiny and under other people's expectations, under afflictions and taunts, even unto death, where he died just as he lived in our place for us. Not only experiencing lament and tears and temptation like us, but enduring it as us and for us, that he might free us from the weight of those things being forever 
including judgment for our own sin. He defeated all sin. He overcame all suffering. He triumphed over all of his enemies when he rose from the dead in a body that was more glorious when it came out of the grave than when it went in. And the Lord lifted him up, exalted his horn, not just in the resurrection, but in his ascension into heaven. When King Jesus took his seat on his throne at God's right hand, the throne that God established through Samuel a long time ago. And before Jesus left, he said he'd return and that the hard stuff was coming to an end. And this church is the the second advent of Jesus, that immovable, unchanging, inevitable stuff that you won't be able to escape. You'll be able to escape joy because there will be nothing left to rob it from you. And all that will be left will be good and true. But that's not happened yet. That stuff's still on the horizon. But this, this promise of joy, future joy, still shapes three things for us. And this is where we'll end this morning. First, it shapes our present. The gospel, right? The, the good news that Jesus' first coming was successful and that his second coming is on the way, that's not a call to escapism in the here and now. Advent's not a reminder that we can bury our heads in the sand and just kind of daydream our lives away while we wait for Jesus to show up. Like he promises, as Hannah said, to guard the feet of his faithful, that the might of men won't prevail, but trusting in the Lord won't ever be for nothing in the kingdom of God. That means that you and I, we get to take risks and choose faithfulness even when there's a cost. Because whatever the worst case scenario might be in your brain, like that ends when Jesus returns. But the possibilities for the Lord to stir something supernaturally that'll bleed into eternity, man, like that is endless. The possibilities for that are endless. The future joy that we are guaranteed should should jump back in time to right here and right now and tell you that there's a, a bottom to your despair. There's an end to your bitterness. There's no longer anything to fear in the future. So live now in light of that future. Like a senior in graduation week with a, a joyful courage to finish faithfully. Secondly, this promise should shape our prayers. Hannah didn't even know what her request for a child would bring like, or how God would use it. But she knows that God can and will use anything and everything for his bigger purposes. What if our prayers were soaked in this kind of bigger picture? What if the things that we asked for weren't merely to make broken things better or harder things easier, but to somehow advance the movement of redemption and restoration beyond what we could see, beyond what we even know exists for, for the advancement of the gospel, the joy of people that we might not even know right now. That's not us trying to make something more of our lives or more of our prayers than they really are. That's us praying as if we fully grasp what all of creation really needs and what, what they're really longing for and what, is, what it's inevitably moving towards. And that's praying as if we fully grasp God's invitation to us to participate with him in his ministry of making all things new as he makes us new. What if we prayed Advent-shaped prayers? And then lastly, this shapes our praise. It shapes how we respond to the Lord. Hannah said at the beginning of our prayer that she was rejoicing in her salvation. But salvation for her and for us has both happened and not happened yet. It's been secured, right? It's locked down, paid for, promised, all of that. But it's not something that any of us have experienced in full because it won't be finished until he has made everything in heaven and on earth and in us, body and soul, new. We've been saved, 
but it, it doesn't always feel like we've been saved because in some ways we haven't been yet. God's not done yet. Sin still exists. Suffering still happens. Evil still roams around. But the promise of future joy means that our praise gets to take the shape of victory and freedom even while those things are still here. Again, we get to mock sin and death and Satan by singing about grace. And it also means that our praise can take the shape of lament. Lament's not just welcome. It can be worship. We can, we can worship the Lord when we are so rightly broken over the state of the world or over the state of, of us that we turn to him to grieve and to confess and to ask for help. Hannah didn't start praising God with her prayers when she finally had something good to say. She started praising God with her prayers when she sought him year after year after year, when it seemed like the life that he'd given her was bad, and yet she still believed and trusted that he was good. To trust the Lord with our wounds and our sorrow is to say that he's trustworthy with the most vulnerable parts of our lives. And that is just as high praise as singing about all of his victories. Because joy is promised in our future, we can praise him in our highest moments and in our lowest without feeling like we're grumbling or complaining or saying he's, he's not done enough because we know he's just simply not done. The band can come on up. So, so we wait for this second coming. In light of the first advent, we wait for the second. And in the meantime, the Lord may or may not give us what we ask for. And for some of us, that, that might actually be a, a child. We can't know, but, but we can know what he has already done. Not just in Hannah's life, but in the countless lives of, of saints throughout history and in this room. And certainly what he's already done through the life and the death and the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And we can know what he can do right now in the present. He can begin to uproot bitterness. He can show us that there's a bottom to our despair and that there's a reason to rejoice even in the hard stuff. And there's a way to worship him even when the last thing that we can imagine doing is to, to worship and rejoice at all. And lastly, we know that what he promised to do, what he promised to give us one day, once and for all, the full joy of Jesus when this cosmic Advent season comes to a close. God makes joy a possibility for today and a promise for our future. And now I just want to invite you all to respond to that good news into where you are. And maybe for you that means lament this morning. Stay in your seats or maybe to go and pray with someone who's at that red tree or myself back against the wall. Maybe you need to grieve. Maybe you need to confess. Maybe you need to share something that's really good and sweet that the Lord's done in your life. But you are invited to pray, to come before the Lord in your seats or with us or somewhere else in the space and interact with him there. Uh, you're also invited to come and partake in communion, right? This is for those who are already in Christ like if, you're a, if you're a believer this morning, we invite you to pray, to reflect, to repent, to respond. There'll be some questions up on the screen to help you think through some things. And then if your conscience is clean and you're ready to either rejoice in celebration or come to the Lord with your grief and your sorrow and say, God, it, this really stinks, but I know that you're good and you're my hope, then you're welcome to come up and take the cracker and the juice that represents the blood and the body of Christ that he gave for us on the cross to secure that promise of joy in the future. And lastly, you're invited to simply... Sing, if you would like, with the band. And so respond as you see fit uh, this morning as the Spirit is stirring you, and the band will lead us in worship.